I really believe when there's no purpose, abuse is inevitable. And when there is purpose, when you connect yourself or whatever you do to something bigger than yourself, sustainability is inevitable. So what happened to me with the music, because I never got to that place where I understood that this is purpose, abuse was inevitable. That's why chasing the girls, um, it was all about the address, it was all about the cars, it was all about the drugs. Because like I always say, you know, when there's no purpose, abuse is inevitable because whatever you're blessed with, whatever experience, tool you're given, if you don't understand what the purpose is for, you will abuse it, 100%. Welcome to The Enrichment Project, Path to Purpose, recorded by the mad talent at Solid Gold Podcast. It is a series of unfiltered and insightful conversations with some of the most remarkable purpose-driven human beings who have all achieved, created, inspired, triumphed or challenged. And we have a great deal to learn from them. It is a quest to uncover and articulate the steps along the way to help you on your own journey of purpose. I am your host, Richard Wright, and I am delighted to have you with me Thank you for the gift of your time. Let's dive straight in. With me on the show today, I am delighted and thrilled to have a superstar, um, someone who's got an amazing track record, someone who's going to teach us lots about purpose. His name is Cabello Mavalane, and he is a Kwaitu musician. He is a songwriter. He's an author. He's also a pastor, and he's a runner. So uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Richard. Yeah, it's a long time coming, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, just sure. Yeah. Just, uh, I've been looking forward to having this chat for quite a while. So thank you. Really appreciate it. Before we go any further, I want to talk about your, or one of your latest accomplishments. And that is uh, just taking a casual little jog from Johannesburg, South Africa, all the way down to mm. Durban in South Africa, a little matter of 600 odd kilometers, right? Yeah. What um, on earth was that for? <laughs> I tell you the truth. Um, I was sitting on the couch. I think it was about three, four weeks into lockdown. And I was getting quite frustrated. This is lockdown level five. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, just inundated with those numbers on the screen and people dying, people getting affected, people going hungry. And, you know, I've got a fledgling business that, you know, I was also kind of worried about. And lockdown kind of made me feel neutralized. And I hate feeling neutralized that, you know, um, and not being able to do something. So I remember getting up from the couch and walking to my bedroom and I said to my wife, you know, maybe we should organize a run from here to Cape Town and kind of help all these people being affected. And without batting an eyelid, she said, I think that's a very good idea. Yeah. So, and you know, once the boss gives you the go ahead, because that was also kind of my like, you know, putting my feelers out there to, to, to see what she'd think. And like yeah. I said, she said it was a good idea immediately. And immediately then, you know, there was something to do <laughs> in lockdown. You know, I phoned my business partner. You know, we got all our sponsors on a call. And, uh, yeah, we decided to run to Durban. Okay. And you raised a whole lot of money, right? Yeah, yeah. We, it, it was in an effort to uh, deal with, you know, child hunger. As you know, you know, the lockdown and this COVID-19 situation has uh, messed up the, the food chain, if you will, has messed up the ecosystem. 
um, a lot of these kids that we're helping uh, only get the opportunity to eat when they get to school. Now, with schools closed, these kids weren't getting their daily nutrition. Mm. Um, I've got a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and, and I understand all too well the importance of kids hitting their milestones, mm. developmental milestones. You need, it's, it's dependent upon the nutrition they were getting. So this kind of resonated with me. Here, I was in somewhat of a privileged position. My kids somewhat in a privileged position. And uh, I just felt, you know, this is something I want to get behind. Um, and, and that's why we ran to Durban. We've raised, our aim was to raise 6 million rand. Um, and that was going to feed 10,000 school children for a year. And mm-hmm. we, we just raised just shy of 2.5. Um, and that at least takes, you know, just under 5,000 kids off, off the plate for a year. Um, and, and that feels that feels good. The run itself that must feel good. Um, was I think we we ran 35 k's a day for 14 days uh, with two rest days, and then the last stretch on day 16 or day 17 was the comrades route. We ran the whole comrades route. I didn't realize that. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So we did seven times 35, rested, seven times 35, rested, and we did the whole comrades route. And I think it was manageable because I think 35 was like the proper threshold we could manage a day. Yeah. And we had lots of fun. You know, people always think, oh, you know, grueling run. Uh, It must have been so challenging. But what people don't understand is, you know, myself and Petenia are absolutely nuts about running. So we were... We were having the time of our we're lives. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I saw a lot of the pics that you posted, and it looked like a lot of fun. And it was great. How many people were following you? Just looking at all the comments and everything. It was it must have been amazing yeah. to get so many people behind you. Yeah, we managed. You know, we managed to amass a following. I mean, our amplification strategy was we really worked. I mean, we managed to get two news networks to follow us, kind of yeah. uh, every other day. You know, to kind of punt our cause and help people get behind us. It really resonated with people, you know, and I didn't think it would. And I think it's magnificent. And specifically over this time where there's been so much said about kids and the, and unfortunately the institution has been very, very slow to get involved and to make a difference and to pump money and, and food yeah. into the community. So for you to get up and do that, I'm pretty amazed actually, because I've, I've noticed at this time that people are giving poor, that they are charity poor. I think they're all trying to look after them themselves and, and battling to such an extent that they, many people just don't have it to give. So for you to have raised that amount of money at, in this time is truly remarkable and, and hats off, brother. I think, you know, when we're up against it, I think that's the best time to give. Uh, I, I believe in sowing and reaping. Right. I believe in seed time and harvest time. You know, when you're up against it, whatever you need, you must sow. You know, if you need friendship, become a good friend. You know, if you need mm-hmm. money, sow money. You need love, sow love. You know, if you if you need dependability, be dependable. <laughs> you know, so I believe in seed time and harvest time. You know, so but you're right. Uh, I think there is a lot of donor fatigue, yeah. but um, to have raised just under two and a half million rand in the climate wasn't too bad. Proper. It's proper. Mm. So let's just chat on that comrades route. So that's not a route that um, is unfamiliar to you. I think you've done five or more comrades now. 
Yeah, you've just taken seven away from me, but I won't. I won't hold that against you. I've, <laughs> You're I've kidding. You've, you've got to update your Wikipedia page, dude. <laughs> it's still back in like 1990 somewhere. Twelve. Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm. I'm actually going to start attacking the wiki page because um, you, you're right. We we should keep it up to date. So I've done twelve. Yeah. Twelve. Um, that's remarkable. And funny enough, the day that I thought was going to be the most grueling. That was the time of my life, and I realized why. There's something about knowing where you're going. There's something about knowing the route, you know. Yes. Because the 35k's that we ran, we we were running in no man's land. We had ne- never run there before. You had no idea. Even though we even though we measured the route, you couldn't remember what was really coming up in 5k's time mm. or whatever. But this comrades route was absolutely amazing. We started where we start, and we ran it for about. 90%, you know, with a few kind of detours here and there, but 90% of it was on the route. So it was kind of comrades all over again because I knew yeah. exactly what was coming. I knew exactly, you know, how much to, 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 to hold back. I knew when to give it. And yeah, I just, yeah, it was, I guess, and I guess also coupled with the fact that we made it to day 17, you know, this is yes. actually going to become you know, you know, a feather in the cap. This is actually going to become mission accomplished. Yes. We, we've done it, you know. So that was by far the best day out of all the days. And also, I guess, because uh, you were the only people to get to run comrades this year because it was cancelled and actually on the route. <laughs> How good is that? And, and hey, by the way, it was the end of our journey, you know, for all the way from Johannesburg and we ran the comrades. No, it's, it's, it's amazing. So, so we're going to come back to the running just now, but let's let's talk about Kwaito. Let's talk about the uh, music. And in fact, s- scrap that. I've got a question before then. Sure. What is your earliest memory of what you wanted to become when you grew up as a kid? You know, we all had this idea of what we want to become. What's your earliest memory of that? Jeez, I, I mean, jeez, I remember we used to we used to have a ah oh man. What was the doctor's name we used to go see? Doctor Koza. Yeah. There was a guy, Dr. Koza, in Soweto in the 80s. And, you know, I, I don't come from a rich family at all. You know, my parents really had to bust their balls to, you know, to make things work. You know, so that's right. where I come from. You know, I come from, you know, struggle and, and uh, you know, seeing my parents kind of giving it their all, you know. But Dr. Koza seemed to have... <laughs> He, he seemed to have he he seemed to to have been on you know kind of another planet because he was a doctor you know right. and he was earning uh, he had all the nice cars he had a nice surgery and this isn't Soweto you know I mean there weren't any there weren't a lot of doctors around at the time so my earliest memory to answer your question you know was yeah. you know in terms of what I wanted to become I wanted to become like Doctor Koza you know <laughs> sure I, I, want I wanted to Scott. become a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember for the longest time, you know, wanting to become a doctor. But music, yeah, music was a has been a part of my life from very, very early on. And I've got a right. theory in terms of parents and the influence they have on children, right? Mm-hmm. So there's my mom and my dad. My dad is an avid jazz lover. My dad played jazz till he was blue in the face. My mom also had, you know, my mom was into like the Supremes, Diana Ross, oh. Dion Warwick, Roberta Flack. So she played all those like 60s and 70s stuff. 
religiously over the weekend. I I I I used to remember them having arguments about who's going to play the next vinyl on our like vinyl machine. All right. Yeah. So so and I'm still on the point about parents really. Uh, having such an impact and influence over children based on their actions, not what they say, their yeah, actions. What they do. So, and then, and then my mom, who who was a teacher, uh, was always keen on upgrading her, you know, her education level. You know, uh, was always in UNISA trying to upgrade to the next course, but she would always be complaining about it. <laughs> Every time she had to go write an exam or study, she just complained, complained, complained. So I had like these two worlds where, you know, my mom loves music. And then every yeah. time it came to like school stuff, absolutely hated it. And that's my theory about how I ended up in the music business because <laughs> my parents were most happiest when they played music. And, and, and I think that kind of, that's what I took on, you know, um, in, in, in terms of, you know, equating music as a yeah. happy place and, and books and education and studies an as a not place. so happy place. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a no, that, that's a. I think that's quite a cool insight, actually. C- can I ask you <laughs> this? So, if your mom had a do over, and she just mm. followed her sense of purpose and meaning and the stuff that made her happy, do you think that mm. that, that a pursuit in music would have been better suited to her? I mean, you think about, you know, you've got my mom and my dad. Growing up in apartheid South Africa, you mm. know, you know, opportunities are very few. I honestly think, yeah, I mean, whether it's music, I think my dad had a thing for writing. My dad had mm. a thing for speaking. Uh, my, yeah, my dad had a thing for communicating. He loved kind of uh, consuming information and being able to regurgitate it back, you know. And then my mom, you know, be it maybe kind of becoming someone, you know, better in education or music. I, I really think that we'd mm. be dealing with two totally different individuals if they did follow, you know, their passion, you know, and, and yeah. what made them tick, you know. But I don't think they had the, the luxury. So that's it. I think that's a big part of this project that you are now part of is actually figuring out how we can get more people to that place where mm. they can follow their passions mm. and, and their sense of purpose. Yeah. Because I think there's yeah. so many people out there, and it, it's a tragedy, actually. So many people get to the end of life and they haven't ever found that amazing sweet mm. spot where uh, this thing that I do gives me a sense of meaning and joy and happiness, um, which obviously music has done for you. You've made it this far, probably because the topic resonated with you. If you're wondering what the show is all about, listen to the trailer at the start of the season and find out how this show is going to help you along your own path to purpose. You've stumbled on a project that is all about purpose. Find out why the guests are all so vastly different, but yet all have so much in common. Hop on board this journey with me. Follow the Enrichment Project so that you don't miss out on a single episode and share it with, well, everyone. We are all looking for more meaning in our lives. If the show speaks to your identity or the identity of your brand, consider sponsoring a season. Let's make the circle bigger. Back to the episode and thanks for listening. What you're doing is really awesome in a sense because I've just actually realized that now, you know, forget about the tough situations, you know, my parents grew up in 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 apartheid South Africa, I think more than anything, which is what you're doing, 
is giving people permission because that's exactly what it is. Give mm. people permission. <laughs> Validate that happy place. You yeah. know, um, it's legit. It's you. It's you are humming at, at an even a cellular level. I've heard, you know, in terms of when we are in our happy place, it even goes as deep down as revitalizing, renewing energy at a cellular level. You know, so yeah. so so I think kudos to you, you know, for undertaking this because we need more mouthpieces that give people, you know, permission. And what what excites me is I look at my kids because I know what it took for me to follow my dreams. It, it yeah. was against a lot of kind of restrictions. Obviously, my mom believing education is the best way, and it is, right? But then there's many forms of education which I feel you know she you know now she 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 always says to me what i would have done with you when you were at a young age i'd have thrown you into a music school you know what i mean mm. so mm. but like what i'm saying is with my son and my daughter i mean it's like carte blanche i'm just waiting for whatever it is and i'm getting behind that 100 percent. you yeah. know and and it's that's one of the exciting things becoming a parent you know um making your under making your kids understand that they can be the best in the world at what they do. Mm. And I think that's important for them to know, you know, go for it or die trying, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm not kind of saying my kids are going to be the best in the world at, at whatever, but. No, but you know, it's that if, belief. It's that belief. And permission. And, and going on. permission, as you said. 100%. Yeah. 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 Okay. So um, there was this love. Tell me how, and tell me about some of the struggles in the beginning following your pursuits, your passions of music. Yeah, my, my dad wasn't having it. I mean, he was all about school, go to school, learn. We didn't get the opportunity. We busting our balls here, making sure that mm. you're getting into the best schools. You best go there and learn and study. And you know, uh, my mom, same thing. My mom was a teacher, so she obviously also believed in that. So when I came home and I fell in love with, I fell in love with tennis first. You know, I absolutely loved tennis. tennis. Played tennis throughout primary school. Yeah. Uh, sports has always been my thing. Got into high school. It became rugby. You know, it became rowing. So every time I came home or <laughs> I was either asking for new rugby boots, a new tennis racket. I, you know, I was never asking for money for extra lessons or new textbooks or, or whatever, <laughs> you know. And, and yeah. it was a constant fight from really early on, you know. And I think by the time I got to make the decision about my music you know, after matric, I'd kind of honed the skill of <laughs> going against the grain for so long throughout my life, kind of my, my mom hating the fact that I played tennis, but I carried on and I actually did well, you know, yeah. hating the fact that I got involved into in extramural activities that had nothing to do with academics. And I'd done that my whole life, you know, I'd done yeah. it because I wanted to do it. So by the time I got to choosing music. I was always used to going against the grain. I mean, it's only till much later when, you know, my parents started seeing that, wow, a guy's making a living off this thing. He's actually yeah. doing really well. He's actually quite good at it. It is actually possible. He's not too bad. Yeah. And then I think also then kind of opening your eyes to the world and, you know, seeing your son in maybe somebody else you know, and, and seeing how their life has turned out, then you start to see it as a possibility, you know, because yeah. I guess it's about being exposed to such. And when they were exposed to it, they, 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 they kind of warmed up to the fact. 
Yeah, but uh, but it's hard. I think it's hard as a parent, especially as you said. Yeah, it's hard as a parent, and especially as yes. you said that your parents grew up in this environment, this apartheid environment, where opportunities weren't there. They they struggled. They didn't have the chances that you've given them, and now you're mm. going against the grain and following your own heart and your passions. But that's mm. not what they want for you. So as much, mm. I'm going to hold you to this because we're recording this, Cabello. So as much <laughs> as you've said that you, your kids, um, you want them to know that they can be the best at whatever it is, you still have an idea of, I'd really like it if it was this, or maybe it shouldn't be that, you know? hundred percent. And that's the tough part as a parent. I know my kids, I'm mm-hmm. sports mad, but neither of them wanted to play any sport at school until beginning of this year. And it was like, oh man. How much do you push them? And it's like, you mm-hmm. look at them like, oh, you're a massive disappointment, but I can't let you know that I feel that about you because you're not, you know? <laughs> so I can relate to your parents looking at you like, oh, yeah. man, come on, okay. come on. Yeah. So, so we'll have Don't this chat it. again. <laughs> okay, so then? So, so I mean, yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's about, you know, like we're talking about giving them permission, you know, even with regards to my kids. I think the you know the leg up that i've got maybe on my parents is even though they might not what i want my kids to understand and which which means which is a thing that me and you need to practice that if it's not going to be sports or i mean i'd love for my son to be a springbok rugby player or english premier league manchester united player or or be like a you know an athlete i mean because i love sport right um but I think like I've got a leg up in, you know, over my parents because I understand how it feels like when somebody's in the way of you getting to your happy place. And I vowed right. not to do that. You know, that I won't do. You also escaped the mold. So, so the, this yes. conventional idea, that box that you would be in and study this, that you, yes. you escaped that mold and know what it feels like on the other side of that. A hundred percent. And I wouldn't want to be the guy who does what was done to me, you know, uh, I'm not going to do that. Okay. And then, so that early rise, the music, how did that, how how did that happen? That, that the first break, the, you deciding what, what kind of music, tell me a bit about that. So, you know, (laughs) so here we were three schoolboys. We were all, all went to St. Stidians and people always go, but how did you guys go to St. Stidians and you ended up doing like township Guaido music? And someone was saying this to me earlier today. They they couldn't kind of put the two together. Yeah. And I say to them, you know, that's exactly what a school like St. Stidians will teach you, you know, to be the best you can be, you know, to be your most authentic self. You know, like schools like that and institutions like that, that's, that's, that's what they empower you with, mm. you know. And we were through and through all three boys from the township, and we just managed to be privileged enough to, you know, get to a school like that, you know. But it never took away, you know, the very real experiences we were having, even within that context, you know, very real experiences we're having in the township even within that context. And I believe it's made me a better person. Mm -hmm. It's made me a better South African because I've seen both worlds. Uh, I've been exposed to a a myriad of worlds. I mean, we went to school with Chinese kids, Indian kids, Afrikaans kids, English kids, colored kids. I mean, what that's like the best place to be. So when we made music, it was drawing from (laughs) all of that. And I mean, 
you listen to any of the TKZ stuff, you listen to any of my stuff. I mean, the amount of languages in the music, you know, the, the, the amount of where, where the inspiration came from, you know, it's because of the kind of experience, you know, we had at a school like St. Stidians. Yeah, I got into, into, into the music uh, thing straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to go to Vits Tech and I enrolled into the only course I could get into, um, which was sports management. Uh, literally, that's the only course I could get into because of my marks. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to do it for like six months. And then we, we had a module called like physiology. And that was like biology all over again. And I was like, nah, I'm not going through this again. Yeah. I'm out of here. And then I hooked up with my friends and, you know, Zwai and Tukulo who went to Saints with. And luckily at the time, Zwai was already working with BMG Music. Zwai is this like musician extraordinaire who was accepted to the Royal Schools Academy of Music in Scotland, mm. chosen out of 15 people in the world to go to this institution. And he also got to a point where he was sick and tired of the academic side of music and he wanted to kind of make music, you know, based on experiences and where he was at. And it was kind of a fortunate set of circumstances, you know, in terms of, you know, when we met, how we met. And we just kind of plugged into where he was. And I was just chilling with school friends in the back room somewhere in Randburg and we were messing around on equipment and you know we started putting stuff together and you know we we put some stuff out we put a a new album like an album out or an ep out which didn't do so well which was terrible actually i didn't think i don't think it sold more than like 500 units but because we're all such highly driven competitive individuals Mm -hmm. we always knew that we had something to offer and because we were saints boys you know saints boys (laughs) <laughs> who always taught to win, you know, <laughs> you don't do better than a Saints boy. A Saints boy is always going to like try outdo you, you know, um, whilst also trying to be a good sportsman. And yeah, we actually invested a lot of time into the music. We started visiting more clubs and trying to understand what the South African music culture was about. Cause I think we made music in a silo. Mm-hmm. in our own world. yeah. And then when we started opening ourselves up to the world, we actually understood what it was, what made the world tick. And once we understood what made the world tick, the rest is history, you know? And that's, yeah, and that's how we, that's how I started in the music business. You know, we sold, you know, a gazillion records. Yeah. Well, maybe not a gazillion, but... Really <laughs> close. You kind of multi-platinum yes. a few times over. Um, and yeah extremely successful career that's how that's how, that's how it started that's how it started you know right um and i mean some some extremely prestigious awards opening for some massive shows um even 2010 i think it was the fifa world cup uh, part of the the opening yeah. show um some incredible moments mm. uh, can you pick one that stands out as being something where you felt right th- this is my purpose this is my every i'm now doing uh, it can't get better than this is there a moment like that? Sure. That's a very, very good question in terms of when in my music journey did I ever realize, you know, that this is kind of what I'm here for. Mm. To be honest, I can't pinpoint a moment. Right. I'd sooner point out that moment rather in, in my faith walk, which is quite strange because right. I don't think I would have achieved what I've achieved in music if that was never part of my calling and purpose. 
you know. But um, maybe in hindsight, I can say that. But whilst I was kind of in it, yeah, in the journey, it was all about having fun, you know, making good music, loving good music, and not understanding the purpose piece behind it. You know, I think the purpose piece behind it only came much later mm. because the product of the success that the music had garnered was this individual. And then now the individual goes, what is this all for? You know, it wasn't kind of in okay. the music, performing to massive crowds and having these great like um, uh, experiences on, on different stages around the world. And it never came there. It's only when the product, which is me going, yeah. okay, why am I me? <laughs> why have I gone through what I've just gone through? Why have I experienced all of this stuff? Um, and to be honest, yeah. I really believe when, when there's no purpose, mm -hmm. uh, abuse is inevitable. You know, and when there is purpose, when you connect yourself or whatever you do to something bigger than yourself, sustainability is inevitable. Right. So what happened to me with the music, the reason, because I never got to that place where I understood that this is purpose, yeah. abuse was inevitable. That's why chasing the girls, um, it was all about the address, it was all about the cars, yeah. it was all about the drugs. Because like I always say, you know, when there's no purpose, abuse is inevitable because whatever you're blessed with, whatever experience, tool you're given, if you don't understand what the purpose is for, you will abuse it 100%. That's, that's a very, very deep, self-aware and mature thing to say. And, and as you say, I think purpose is one of those things where you look back and you follow the breadcrumbs back and you try and figure it out. And I think there are very few people who, who understand it. And I think that's part of the conversation of having to reframe this idea of purpose. What is this thing? Um, mm. you know, it, it, mm. is it this massive thing? I'm on world stages and I'm, I'm the, when I get there, that'll be purpose. Or is it this feeling or this thing or this desire or, or what this makes me feel right now? And if I can identify with that and what this thing does for other mm. people, because mm. that's what music does really, then it's something different. So yeah, hats off and kudos to you that uh, you've, you've, you've walked a, a real path. You know, you, you, you actually just taking me to a place, two places. Mm. The first place I guess is to help people understand how to connect the dots you know you speak about breadcrumbs yeah and i go back to a time when you said breadcrumbs it took me back to a time where i was so invested in making it big in the music business that i was performing for free i was doing backup vocals for people mm. earning no money anything to get there um just really like just loving being around this environment yeah you know and that's when you know <laughs> whatever you can do for free yeah and like no one has to pay you that's those are one of the signs those are those, those are some of the signs and 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 as i say this to you i wish somebody would have said that to yeah. me then you know which is yeah. why what you're doing is so important Kabela, when can i stop doing gigs for free and when do i start getting paid to speak <laughs> <laughs> No, but listen, you'd speak, you would speak any day. You see, you know, I was listening to you and I thought I can, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. No, it is, it is. And sometimes I pinch myself that I actually get paid to do what I do. It's like, wow, okay, please don't stop yeah, paying me. Exactly. Don't stop paying me. <laughs> but, but I can't yeah. believe I get paid so to do I this. I used to have this saying. Yeah. I used to have this saying and people used to think I was quite arrogant. People asked me, what do you do for a living? Yeah. For the longest time, I used to say, I live. Because that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. I was just living. 
and just doing me, exactly you know, right. and, 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 and getting, and getting paid. So breadcrumbs as a kind of red light that should start flashy. Yeah. You know, when you start doing something that like, we don't even have to pay you for. Yeah. Okay. So then, and then the abuse, what happened there? The unraveling, the, mm. tell me about that mm. sort of dark time. Yeah. The dark time. Goodness. For the longest time, you know, had a lot of insecurity issues, which stem from, you know, not having kind of met the standard, if you will. Who, who standard? Uh, that, that my pa- my parents set oh. from, a, from an academic perspective, right? Right. And, you know, believing <laughs> that I was who, you know, some teachers said I was, mm. you know, at some level be my identity was the guy who just literally made it past matric. You know, I was one of those guys who got called into the office and literally was told what's going to become of your life. Um, mm. You know, I, I don't, you, you know, you're not going to make it, you know? Mm. So the, here's the, how's this? <laughs> so it, it's such a weird thing because there I was willing to do anything for free, right. loving the music but very insecure about doing it. As long as I was around a group of people (laughs) and we were all kind of in the thing, I was fine. Mm. But when it was time for my idea or me writing a song or stepping out, personally, it was the biggest struggle. Mm. It was like the biggest struggle because I had no formal training, you know, kind of just second guessing, you know, second guessing myself. And after school, obviously getting into the music business, drugs and alcohol are rife. Mm. Um, I kind of gravitated towards that, you know, um, I didn't have to deal with the insecurity. I guess it made me another person, you know, yes. uh, I, I mean, I've said this on platforms and it's actually the strangest thing that, even as I think of saying it, maybe I shouldn't say it, but it's like I've said it before. I think I've said it in my book that it's amazing how cocaine, yeah, <laughs> cocaine actually helped me tap into this guy because it made me brave. It made me, you know, not second guess myself. It mm. made me think I was this like, whoa, larger than life thing. And then I think there was a moment where I said, but why don't I become that guy without the stuff? (laughs) And and I mean, how weird is that? And I mean, even as I say, let me put a disclaimer out there. I'm not saying you got to go take narcotics to like find your stuff. That's not what I'm saying. Is that when I'm going to start getting paid? (laughs) 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 Speaker. (laughs) No, so I like the fact that you're saying it's a drag, right? Because... It is that powerful. There are a number of people that I've chatted to. So this blew my mind last week. Chatted to Gary Kirsten. And I mean, he is one of my all-time cricketing heroes. The guy is amazing. And he said to me that he did not believe in himself. He didn't have self-confidence until a coach took him aside to say, hey, I believe in you. He wasn't cracking it, wasn't making wow. the teams, wasn't making selections. So that, that is the same sort of powerful thing as a drug. Is, is that, that a, something from the outside, a third yeah. party, yeah. giving us this confidence yeah. in ourselves? So, so whatever that vehicle is, 
it's a common thread and it's it's sad actually that we well i prefer to be a coach i prefer to be you <laughs> sure. i prefer to be mom and dad <laughs> please can it not be but your coach but your coach was truck. cocaine and and that's you know that's oh very big to, and that's very big to admit that but it and that's the power of your story is that you're able to tell people how to do it differently you know that's what i think yeah you know, and that, look you might not be as lucky as me. You know, here's yeah. another disclaimer. You yeah. know, <laughs> yeah. there's a 2% recovery rate worldwide. So, oh, sure. you know, don't try this at home. You know, my story is not your story. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, you know, when I think sure. back and I put the pieces together, it's a, it was a defining moment. It actually, mm. I remember there's a producer, Ndu, when I got to this realization that I should be this guy without that stuff. Mm. Do was like one of the biggest artists and producers at the time. And I just remember going, oh, he's agreed to work with me. I was clean for six months. I was oh, clean for six sure. months, but I was still boozing because I've been trying to kick the habit. Yeah. But I didn't have the self-belief to walk into the same studio with this guy. Mm. Like I, I just I just saw myself like the small. And I thought, I'm not going there without getting high. Like I'm not. And I remember going to score, losing six months of, uh, of well, not sobriety because I was drinking, yeah, but, but losing, you know, clean time of being any, like, narcotics. Mm. And uh, I went and used, and, you know, we, we made magic. <laughs> Funny enough, you know, we made a smash hit, but I, personally, I wouldn't have been able to walk into the studio and believe in what I brought to the table because he was just this massive massive monster you know he was like larger than life yeah very larger than life and mm. for me to feel somewhat you know on the same level as him i had to take cocaine but i also understood that this is not sustainable <laughs> yeah i can't be feeling like this i i've got to learn how to be this guy without any help and how did that happen i mean i, I guess the process started when a friend of mine lucas matlachani who worked at a at the same record company that I'd signed to at the time, he was in the marketing department. And uh, he, he, he calls me Motokholo, Motokholo, which means nephew, you know? Okay. Uh, a little bit older than I, but um, it always just kind of just been really kind to me. And I remember we were kind of a marketing or, or getting ready to market my second solo album. Mm. And he just said to me at that time, you know, which was the straw that broke the camel's back because he said to me, why don't you just stop this nonsense? I mean, you, you, you've just had a double platinum album. You've got an album about to come in. You know, you've been doing this thing and, you know, you, you've just been getting into trouble, you know, every other week in the media. And, you know, this is not sustainable. You're messing up your relationships. Why don't you just quit this stuff? Mm. And I think it was off the back of many, many interventions, you know, uh, and six months prior to that, six, seven months prior to that, Brahuma Sikela, who uh. my mom found, I don't know where, <laughs> my mom found Brahu and they staged an intervention, which upset me because I knew Brahu from the music business and yes. I didn't know him personally. And I kind of thought, you know, who's he to tell me like to quit drugs? He doesn't know me, you know, yeah. but it's a, it, it stuck. So by the time Lucas said what he said to me, I, I was just ready to listen, man. Just you a know, whole bunch of um, things. How my life was at that time, I was just, it's not what I signed up for, you know. Mm. 
Um, I, I loved music and what was happening was just not what I signed up for. And as they say, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, I mean, did you go somewhere to clean out or you just you just stopped on your own? No, 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 no. I'm fortunate enough in, that I listened. You know, I went to rehab. I went to Houghton House. I realized that for me to get this right, I'm going to have to come, you know, face to face with whatever I need to deal with. Mm. You know, I must say, I've never been in that kind of an environment before mm. where, you know, the group sessions, where you see people become vulnerable, where vulnerability was encouraged, mm. you know. Um, and, and I've since learned that, you know, courage is actually underpinned by vulnerability. True story. I saw these people being vulnerable. I saw it being encouraged. And then another story was, you know, your, your mountain can be somebody else's molehill, right? Yes. And vice versa. My molehill could be somebody's mountain. I mean, there I was sharing my stuff about my dad, and, uh, insecurities that I felt. And then I finish sharing. And then you kind of move on to the next person. This next person starts sharing. And they start sharing this horror story. Mm. And I'm like, I just need to get my act together. Like, honestly, listen to what this person has just said. Listen mm. to what they've just gone through. And you complaining about your dad making you feel a little bit insecure and whatever. I mean, it's like, just get over yourself, you know? And that's kind of how I processed it. You know, I'm, I'm not by any means underplaying or trivializing how individuals can make us feel, you know? Yeah. But I think sometimes we just got to have perspective. So I think that perspective is, is very important, but it's more than that. I mean, I often have people after I've spoken saying, wow, I've just listened to you and I think of my life and I think how dare I complain about my life because of what you've been through. And I think mm. it, just to say, oh, no, we just got to butch up and get over it, you know, build a bridge, um, is disingenuous in that, that you know, all our stuff is relevant and relative to us. So it's, it's you acknowledging, yes, yeah. I do have some stuff. My dad did make me feel that way. Okay, what am I going to do with it? How am I going to deal with it? Um, but the perspective is, is mm. getting a bit of a perspective um, nudge isn't a bad thing either. Okay. And then, and since then, did you clean since then? Yeah, clean since then, 2002, 1st of September, I cleaned up every year, 1st of September is my, is my birthday. Yeah. Um, I was 18 this year. Sure, congrats. I made peace with my dad because I was taught at rehab that your dad will always be your dad. Yes. If you want your relationship to work with your dad, you're the one that's going to have to change. And I, I was set free, you know. Um, oh. I started loving my dad because that's who he is, yes. you know. And then I started, you know, you start having perspective about, of course, he was trying his best. And of course, he loves me, you know, kind of reconciling all those things. We can go one step further and say that it, if it hadn't been for your dad making you feel so insecure, you might not be where you are right now because the drugs that you needed to take to feel better made you something different. Mm. So, you know, would that have happened had you just had this more happy childhood where you felt that you were everything that your parents wanted you to be and you followed that route, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be where you are now. So I've had a similar journey yeah. where I've had to go back and say, despite the fact that I feel a little bit hard done by in terms of my childhood, if it hadn't been for that, that's the gift. I need to go back and say to my folks, hey, thank you. Thank you. Because I am mm. who I am because of mm. you. No matter how hard that journey was mm. for me, I would never have been mm. that without that. So, and mm. I don't think mm. there are many people that get to that point. Um, and and sure. then so, yeah, yeah. 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 And then the faith journey, where did that come in through all of this? 
So the faith journey, God has always been a, a presence in my life. Mm-hmm. In a sense that, I mean, I went to a Catholic primary school. So there's, you know, Catholic with nuns in the 80s, right? So like the presence of God, you, <laughs> you've always known about God, you know? So I mean, right. and there's no, there's no better place to know about God or for God to be front and center, like a Catholic school, right. you know? And then, in fact, all my schools, I mean, St. Stephen's was a, was a Methodist school. We went mm. to chapel every day. You know, we prayed, we had a chaplain, we sang hymns. Mm. Obviously not engaging. I was engaging, speak for myself, in terms of what I was saying. But yeah, God has always been like there. Mm. And then enter Zwei in my life. Zwei had been a man of faith, a born-again Christian, who I ridiculed every time because... You know, I've always kind of maybe equated Christianity with being softies and, you know, uh, yeah. and maybe I was kind of reflecting or deflecting kind of, you know, maybe my, my convictions. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I was because uh, I did a similar thing to a friend of mine that I was at St. Stephen's with Michael Ventry. You know, he was also a Christian. We were in stand seven, stand eight. You know, he was always trying to live out his Christian values and, We'd always tease him, uh, mm. but again, was deflecting some of my stuff, you know, because um, on some deep level, I wanted what he had. He had this peace, you know, he had this conviction, you know, uh, which which I didn't have. And then enter Zwei in my life, uh, you know, we starting TKZ, we living in a in a back room at at a place that he's kind of staying, and the one Sunday he says, "I'm going to church." So I mean, when you're staying at a friend's house and they're going to church. Guess what you're gonna do when they go? You're gonna, exactly. you know, you're gonna <laughs> tag along. And 1996, I went to Rama for the first time. No way. And I just recall going in. I didn't. I don't know who was preaching that day, but there was just this conviction in me. Right. That 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 something in me has to change. That there is more in me. You know. They, they spoke about. A man called Jesus and and him having died on the cross, you know, for our sins. There was just a conviction and and something that drew me to that. Mm. I guess you can think the insecurity I was going through at the time, you know, unconditional love appealed to me, you know, unconditional acceptance, uh-huh. you know, uh, uh, appealed to me. There's this need, right? Yeah. And then I remember going forward and, and kind of receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior and leaving the church that day, <laughs> convicted that, oh, man, you know, I've got to, like, you know, change my life and, you know, there's someone else I've got to be. But it didn't kind of take, you know, because um, then I didn't understand the decision um, that I'd made. Right. I based it all on my performance. It was all about the things that I get right. And when I wasn't even 10 minutes after the service not getting things right, I kind of reverted back to, you know, to my old lifestyle. So it's something that's always been there. I've always known, okay. you know, that, uh, I mean, as, as Christians, we believe once you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit um, resides in you from then on. You know, the word says he guides you into all truth. So as he resides in you, there's just been this tugging away at me since that day that just never left me alone. <laughs> I, I want to know what that moment was where you left 
what we're going to call the old and you embarked upon the new and the sense of fulfilling your purpose. So I know the music is a big, big chunk of that. The faith is a big, big chunk of that. The running is a chunk of that. Um, being a pastor is a chunk of that. H how does it all mesh together or does it? I, it does. And it really goes back to a moment in 1996 where a year out of high school, just come back from a short-term exchange program, yeah, <laughs> with Rotary. Project program. Yeah, and then I come back, I, I I dabble with kind of tertiary education, which doesn't really take. Um, I, I meet up with my old school friends again. We start the band. Uh, one of them is a you know devout Christian, and we're staying at his house. And, uh, you know, and I say this all the time, you know, that, you know, whenever you're staying at a friend's house and they're going to church that morning, you kind of have to tag along because, right. you know, you're at their house, mm. their rules, so to speak. And it was when I had my encounter with Jesus, you know, in 96, at that time in my life, I was just ready to hear the message. Uh, I was ready to accept unconditional love, as it were, and it really like rocked my world. Mm. But leaving that encounter on that day, 1996, I felt that the, the, the decision was too a big decision for me and that I couldn't stay true and, and live it out. So I, mm. I kind of ran away. And right. then my music career took off. And, you know, to answer your question, you know, how do all the, how does the running, the music, the purpose all come together? When was that moment? The yeah. moment that I knew that I need to live a life bigger than just me was that moment in 1996, which I ran away from uh, for the longest time. Yeah. And an ex-girlfriend of mine always used to call me the, the reluctant hero. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, I've fallen in love with that term because it's like this oak who just doesn't want to be great. He absolutely doesn't want to be great, but, you know, he's, he has a calling to be great, you know, and yes. then he succumbs to this calling. That's just kind of the story of my life, yes. you know, um, sure. I, 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 and I think all of us have it, you know, every single one of us have it. We, all of us have this calling, this knowing away that, that, that calls you, that knows that you can be great, that the person that you dream of being resides is in you. Uh, and we all have it. The the purpose mm. of life is to succumb to that calling and 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 letting it overwhelm you. Wow. So immediately I'm thinking, okay, so it's different for every single person, right? Um, and I respect mm -hmm. that for some people it's going to be faith based. For some people it's going to be mm -hmm. a, a social commitment. For other people it it could be anything yeah. really. So it doesn't or really matter. Loss or yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. It can um, be a can be a tragic loss. It can be yeah. whatever. Sure. Okay. So, and then there's another question I've got, and this I've been mulling over since I since we last chatted. Right. So it's a big one for me. So there was this this drug addiction and this addiction to a to a fast life. Would you say that your current addictions replaced those addictions? Would you describe your running or your faith or is there any kind of parallel there or not? 
So let's deal with the word addiction. (laughs) (laughs) Because... (laughs) Because... Because that word... That word has connotations, right? right? Well, but those those are connotations. I don't think it has to have... Addiction is an amazing thing. You can be addicted... Hear my train of thought. I'm going to hear you Listen to my train of thought. (laughs) So my my, uh, kind of um, psychologist... Who, who I still speak to today, who had a big part in my recovery, yes. Juliet Smith. After maybe seven years of sobriety, mm-hmm. I, um, I, I was a bit concerned. Have I cross-addicted? Have I just replaced ah. one addiction for the other? Because yeah. I, well, I was well into my journey as a kind of a budding endurance athlete and you know i was very well into that world about seven years in seven comrades in whatever and i found a concern because was there potentially a blind spot that i wasn't seeing yeah and i said do you reckon i'm addicted to my running and kind of this lifestyle and she said an addiction this is her definition Mm -hmm. okay and this woman knows what she's talking about (laughs) she says (laughs) <laughs> she says an addiction is when the negatives yeah. outweigh the positives mm. that's when you can call it an addiction right okay? so i look at my life my running call it diet uh or whatever, whatever. A you healthy know, all, obsession. All, the, all, all the good things yeah all the good things right the positives far outweigh the 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 negatives so i don't like looking at it as an addiction however yeah. let me say this I think sometimes I exhibit a- addiction behavior. Can can we perhaps just call it a healthy obsession? Because <laughs> obsessions like velvet, are great. Like a velvet glove. No, no, obsessions are not addictions at all. <laughs> obsessions are amazing. Um, I've even got I am obsessive tattooed on my arm here. And obsessive is an amazing quality. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's what got me through a bunch of Iron Man yeah. events with stage four it cancer. Can, it, it can look. And it can be. And look, I, you know, it's all semantics. Uh, I think when we really latch on to the good stuff, yeah. we call it obsession, call it addiction. If it's doing good for us, That's call it. it whatever you want yeah, exactly. to call it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. But, I'd, but, but there definitely has been some kind of replacement. So I, I, I hear you and I'm, I stand 100% corrected on addiction and you're right. It's actually. So let it, me say this. Yes. In recovering from a bad addiction, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. When you do stop that addict behavior, yes, there's a void that occurs in your life. Yeah, of time, of just there's a void, mm-hmm. and I think to recover or to stand a chance in recovery, you need to fill that void with constructive stuff. So you, you know, mine has been life as I live it now. Mm. You know, so you know, you know, you call it other addictions, whatever you want to call them, but you've got to fill that void with. Um, uh, with 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 um, well, healthy habits, I with guess stuff that's good for you. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Well, well done, well done. I mean, as you said, there's such a small percentage of Thank people you. that actually get to the other side. It's massive. Um, and mm, so you you've written you've written a book, which I confess I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't managed to get my gravity paws on yet, but I will. I'd like a signed copy, actually. Um, tell me about that book. Sure, I'll get you one. Um, the book's called I Ran for My Life. All right. Um, uh, one of my, my music manager, a guy who manages my, my, my band TKZ, wanted to write 
you know, he writes to write a book one day called Music Saved My Life. So I, I like the idea. Yeah. So I'm obviously an avid runner and I said I ran for my life. And I guess uh, I ran for my life also has a double meaning, really. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Know, uh, because I, I, I really did <laughs> run away from, you know, uh, I outran my demons, you know. Yeah. Um, and it really is a book about my life story, you know, kind of where I'm from, where, where I'm from, who I am, my family life, school life, you know, kind of the, the drug, sex and rock and roll, my faith, meeting my wife, my children. And, 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 and throughout the book, what I do do is uh, in telling my life story, I kind of parallel to that, I share a story about actually running a comrades marathon and through that oh. i extract you know life lessons yeah. that i feel the comrades marathon has taught me which is the life lessons that i've then uh, applied in, yeah. in in my own life fantastic so if you are listening to this or watching this my suggestion is if you want to get more of cabello and his story uh, we've just scratched the surface here please go and get the book uh, i would imagine available in all good bookstores on amazon as an ebook, yeah. So it's most mostly mostly online. I mean, I've just done a promo now with uh, um, exclusive books, and that's the cool thing about books. You can promote them till you die. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> a hard thing I, to I sell like, books. I like music. <laughs> you think so? Sure. I think it's exciting. You, no, they, it's super. They can, the thing is, what I love about it is their promotion cycle never ends. Mm. It really never ends. Mm. You know, it's. Uh, music is different because music has a has a time and a place and a season. And five years from now, genres change. Oh, you know, sure. the industry changes. So you know, but but a story is a story. Yeah. And uh, I, I, my 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 life story will always come to the fore. Yeah. Whenever um, whenever I have a big moment in my life, you know, it yeah. will always be part and parcel of because it's all about kind of sharing the lessons of what got me to where I'm at as I'm experiencing that big moment, you know, and I think mm. it, it's important to share and uh, give, give people an in on it, so to speak. So that leads on quite nicely to the next question. And that is, um, so are you still making music? Are we going to hear some more from you? Yeah. So, yeah, I am still making music to answer the question simply. Mm -hmm. uh, I was currently busy with, busy with my 10th uh, solo album. Um, it really does feel as my 10th and final, but everyone I say that to say, oh, yeah, whatever, 10th and final, <laughs> you know, you just, <laughs> you just saying that because you want people to run to the, you know, to the store. <laughs> to I'm like, seriously, it. guys, like, I think, I think I honestly, and, I, and I'm like, guys, seriously, music is a young man's game. Like, like, honestly, recording music, going on tour, doing live gigs, staying away yeah. from family. It's not like my gig at the moment, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, you, you know, so. But, but then isn't COVID a blessing because, because you can't go and tour. So, so you can release the music and stay at home. Well, and nobody cares. Yeah. But, but that's exactly what I didn't want to do, you know? And, and I mean, I respect guys who put out and kept on churning out music during this COVID period. Yeah. But for me, there's a big element missing. There's the live element missing. And I want for my music to go out. I need interaction with fans on social media, on radio, TV interviews, and finally at live gigs. I mean, connect. that's kind of where yeah. that's where it's at, and and the fact that that's missing and slowly coming back, but nowhere near where we wanted to, you know, because obviously everybody's safety is the number one priority. 
but uh, I've got songs on the back burner nice. and I, I need to get back into the studio and finish. I'm on the home stretch. Stunning. Yeah, I've got an amazing, I've done the artwork. I, I really, yeah. I put out on Twitter that I'm looking for an amazing artist. You know, I want to do my 10th solo album artwork and like a few people referred me um, to this one artist and she is like literally out there. Wow. And uh, the cover art is really amazing. I, I really dig it. Really and are yeah. you are you still looking for any backing vocalists or anything? Because I'm 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 happy to apply. I'm quite good. Is there space for a white guy? <laughs> I, I, I do I do all my I do all my backing vocalists. Uh, you're just saying I that now because you don't. <laughs> you pulled up your white I guy quota. Up my, white, my white boy quota with, with, with Danny. Dan, with Danny, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's been an amazing. That's been an amazing relationship, hey. I mean, you guys are on stage together, um, speaking and singing, yeah. and then the the charity yeah, work, yeah. the social uh, work that you've been doing, really amazing. Tell us about what you and Danny have been doing over over COVID, because that's pretty remarkable. So we, oh yeah, so we in in the beginning of lockdown. We were, we've got an NGO, Shout Essay, which we started all the way back in 2007. It started out as kind of, um, you know, putting positive messaging out there because South Africa at the time was kind of crime ridden um, mm. and nothing's changed. And we were and we were just getting quite a bad rap on the on the international stage. And we wanted to put out positive messaging. So we, we got involved in that space, which led us to actually starting to build libraries across mm. Uh, the country uh, because we feel when you educate you eradicate the need to incarcerate there we go <laughs> that's our shtick yeah that's a good <laughs> shtick that's a good shtick and then and and then with lockdown with a few of our libraries uh on on pause uh we thought let's do something to help the frontline workers and uh we quickly put together a team made up of our ad agency and a few creatives and shout for masks was born uh, mm. And we've raised just under two million rand, um, and we've supplied mm. masks to hospitals in KZN, uh, uh, um, Western Cape, and 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 Gauteng. And it felt good to do that because mm. you know, kind of being shut behind closed doors. Uh, there we were with a you know with like-minded South Africans, and uh, we were solving more problems. And yeah. um, you know, the success of it and how far and wide the campaign went uh, was another feather in our cap. We, we're really proud of that work. Oh, that well we done. Did, yeah. Well done to both of you. That's mm. really, we need more South Thank Africans, you. more South Africans like you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and, you. and, and Cabello, um, from a music content point of view, mm -hmm. has that changed in terms of your, the faith element or is that not a part of the music that you make? So the funny thing is this, mm. faith has been a big part of my life, my whole life. Mm. So from my first album in drug infused and inspired music, my faith always crept. It found its way mm. into the mix. Right. So it, it's not even something that just because now that I am who I am now, yeah. that that will be more prevalent. It's been a, it's been a thread throughout my music in terms of making purely gospel music. It's not something I necessarily enjoy doing. Yeah. Not something that something that I'm, I, I think I'm skilled at doing. I love making secular stuff, which is true to, you know, where I am and what I can speak into, which will help the next person. My music has always been about that, especially post being clean. So I think my latest album is, 
potentially going to be my favorite because I think I've been the most honest I've, I've ever been. You know, I've, Ooh, been, I like that. I've been true to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, 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 it's such a cool place to be, you know, not chasing trends and really just making music that I really love because yeah. that's when I've won throughout my whole life. Exactly. It. But then somehow I've been sidetracked. I, I, yeah. I'll be the first to admit I've been sidetracked. And it was just such a really cool place to come back to, to be like, hang on a second, but what do you like? Yeah. You know, do what you like. And the thing is, when you do what you like, what's amazing is the fans pick it up almost immediately. Immediately. They pick for it up. Sure. They know sure. They know when this oak is in his element, yeah. when this oak is having a blast. And then it just, you know, then it, then it spreads, you know, yeah. and, um, and people enjoy it, you know? Well, I can't wait for it then. No, I really can't. It's, um, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> no, seriously, really looking forward to that. Sweet. So I've got two oh, more questions sure. for you and then I'm going to let you go. And the first sure. is, is, is one I know that, that any purpose comes at a cost. There's always something, um, something that gets sacrificed, something that gets, um, it, it's a give and take. Can you chat to me a little bit about the, the costs of being a celebrity, costs of, of being in the limelight, being, your life is under scrutiny. You're past at the same time. Have there been costs, things that you have had to sacrifice? I'm actually so happy you asked me this question because I can't, I can't even remember. It could be. Um, no, nah, it can't be the end game with Simon Sinek or the long game. It can't be him. But it's a book that I've just read recently. Mm-hmm. And it absolutely blew me away. The guy says, we've been asking the wrong questions. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, 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 what vision do you have for your life or whatever? And we mm-hmm. actually should be asking, what cost are you willing to pay? There we go. Because it's when you count the cost. Uh-huh. So, so, so somebody says, I want to do an Ironman. Just to use something that's close to home. Yep. You know how much that costs. Mm-hmm. But if you actually were able to quantify it and make somebody feel the cost that you have to go through uh, out of 10 people you must only get rid of nine and one will be left standing mm. you know who'd be willing to pay the price so i've i've paid a heavy price i mean a, a big price that i've had to pay is always having to be be calculating you know always having to have a big picture mind you know where where I've always got much more to lose than the next man, mm-hmm. you know, um, just just being judged by a whole different set of rules. For sure, um, for sure, that makes sense. And the thing is, the the more I've grown into it, I've actually, I've actually understood that it's actually a privilege. It's not a burden, you know. Right. Where 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 when where in my younger years, I've I, I used to think it was a curse, you know, but the more peace I've made with the fact that you know, this is your lot, you know, it becomes a privilege and you actually start to kind of, uh, you know, function from a place of strength. So, yeah, um, people kind of, you know, even from a music perspective, kind of want what you have, but they don't understand the hours in the studio, there we go. you know, yeah. uh, re- rejection, you know, the, the rejection that one suffers uh, from, you know, an album that fails, yeah. you know, so it's the life on the road, the touring, the as you said, you know, the hundred percent time away, and 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 like I just said now about music being a young man's game. Mm. When I think of going to 
spend that much time away from my family. I really have to count the cost as it were, you know, Um, and, and, and make sure I put systems in place that the thing doesn't run away with me because what I've got now in my kids and in, in my family and my wife means so much to me that I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything to, uh, to jeopardize Jeopardize that. There is a big price to pay. It is, there's a, oh man, there's a big price to pay for, for all of this stuff, you know, running comrades marathon, right. Writing a book, you know, being a pastor, you know, um, you know, training for an Ironman. I mean, it's like the stuff one has to go through is um, <laughs> there's hell to pay. For sure. There's, there's hell for to sure. pay, as they say, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thank mm-hmm. you. Thank you. Thanks for the answer. Um, mm-hmm. And then finally, Cabello, um, when that time comes and uh, you are no longer gracing this planet and somebody stands up <laughs> and speaks about you and it's a celebration of the life that you led, what would you most want to be celebrated for sure geez like you know what comes to mind (laughs) is that is something we should leave for people to say you know because the thing is i i I could be going about life right Mm -hmm. and say this is what i want people to remember me for but what kind of what i intend and what kind of what people are receiving could be a completely different thing and I, and I kind of wouldn't <laughs> I kind of wouldn't want to limit myself in terms of you know saying what I want to be reminded you know what I want to be reminded of but as I said that and I thought that I want to be seen as somebody who just left it all out here you know yeah. who didn't take much with him <laughs> yeah. you know I think they I think just by virtue of us being humans, I think there will be one or two dreams that we do take to the grave. Yep. That's why they say that uh, the graveyard is uh, one hell of a place full of potential. But I, I, I would really would like to be looked at somebody who, who really left out, left here. <laughs> who, who didn't add any potential to the graveyard. The, left it all on the court, as they say, you know. Yeah. That's what I want to be remembered for. I, I really want to live a full life, Richard. Yeah. I, I I see myself in, in my mid-90s, you know, yeah. and the thing is, mid-90s, you get to do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> in your summer frame. Because <laughs> your knees are stuffed from win, all the comrades. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on the win the 90 category yeah, Iron Man. Exactly. That's when I'm going to get a world champs when nobody else can do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. I think I think it's a legacy thing, Kabila. That's what I really think. And mm. and and I can say I can pretty much after just this time, I think I could stand up there quite happily and I could explain a lot about the legacy that you've really <laughs> left on this planet, the lives that you've touched. Um, I mean, look at the money that you've raised, the the, the work that you've done. Um, no, huge, 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 huge. And there's still so much yeah, more to come. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for allowing me to share in your journey, for sharing in mine. Um, I look forward to what's what's going to come, Cabello, and I really appreciate your insights and and how you shared so vulnerably and so real with us. Um, so thank you so much. Good job to you. Um, I think platforms, I know platforms like this are much needed to just be that catalyst, you know, that um, that that ignites something in someone. We need more and more of these, 
you know, to assist people, you know, because the thing is, we sit here because of a word that someone spoke that you took sure. and you grabbed and you ran with, you know? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, I'll catch you soon. Cool. See you soon. Stay out of trouble. Cheers. Thank you for staying right to the end of the episode and for joining me on the Enrichment Project. Before you go, please share this episode with your friends and your colleagues. They will thank you, I'm sure. Remember that you can catch each Path to Purpose episode by watching on YouTube or if you prefer, on your favorite podcast app. The link to my book, The Power of Purpose, is in the show notes. Please go and check it out. It's a rad account of my own story of purpose and resilience and my fight against brain cancer. I finished six full Ironman events, a number of multi-stage mountain bike races, nine Ironman 70.3 races, including the Ironman World Championships and a bunch of other endurance events, all with stage four brain cancer because I wanted it that badly and getting to the finish line meant that much to me. As a professional inspirational speaker, business and life coach, author and storyteller, I'd love to add more value to you or your organization. Please find more details on my website, IamRichardWright.com and book me today for a live or virtual keynote, a masterclass, workshop or coaching session or please follow my journey on Facebook, I am Richard Wright, Twitter, The Right Rich, Instagram, I am Richard Wright, or on LinkedIn. I'd love the opportunity to enrich your team. Thank you to the professional crew at Solid Gold Podcasts for the support, the talent, and the mad skills. And to Anna Hick for her creativity and genius video magic. Thank you. You all rock. <laughs>